Welcome to the Blogger to Author Podcast, where we help you turn your content into a book so you can share your passion, build authority in your niche, and make a little money too. Now, here's your host, Dr. Beth Brombos. Hello, and welcome to episode 40 of the Blogger to Author Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Brombos. I love featuring fellow entrepreneurs in the authorship and publishing space on the podcast, and in this episode, I have a special treat for you. I'm honored to feature an interview with Kirsten Oliphant, who is a true expert when it comes to writing, self-publishing, and all things communications. You probably already subscribe to her podcast, Create If Writing, and if you don't, you should, where she gives her listeners lots of great tips for putting stellar books out into the world. In this interview, Kirsten and I talk about the writing process and what her writing process looks like, what she learned from the launch of her most recent book, Creative Collaborations, and how she organized and threw a launch party, and more. She shares some of her favorite tools for self-published and Kindle authors, which I think you're going to want to run out and snag. A little more about Kirsten. Kirsten Oliphant is a writer, blogger, and podcaster with an MFA in fiction, She hosts the Create If Writing podcast to help writers and bloggers learn to build an online platform without being smarmy. Her books, Email Lists Made Easy for Writers and Bloggers, Creative Collaborations, and 31 Small Steps to Grow Your Blog are all available on Amazon. She lives in Houston with her husband and five children, where she has been named one of the top 25 social media power influencers for the past two years. Grab a pencil or your favorite note-taking app and listen up for my interview with Kirsten. Thank you so much for taking the time to be interviewed for the podcast, Kirsten. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to have you because I know... Number one, everybody listening is going to get so much out of this interview. And number two, I have a feeling that a lot of my listeners already subscribe to and listen to the Create If Writing podcast, your podcast. I know I certainly do. So I think that there's going to be a lot of overlap. And I think that everybody's just going to get a lot out of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we have some great crossover, I'm sure, in our audiences. Absolutely. So I would love to start out our conversation by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, just in case they're not following you, although they should be. If you're not, go do that right now, listeners. But so if you could just please take a couple minutes to tell us about yourself and your journey to becoming an author. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I, uh, I guess it's hard to ever know where to start these stories, but I guess I'll start kind of here. I got my MFA, my master's in fiction in 2007, you know, planning to write a bunch of novels and publish them traditionally and do all that kind of thing. And I graduated, started uh, working with an agent on my manuscript and got pregnant with our first child. And I feel like then there was just this blur of like trying to make this novel happen and also birthing humans. We now have five. So like 10 years ago this year, I was like just, you know, newbie with all these hopes and dreams. And um, pretty soon I realized I could not sustain fiction at the same time as raising tiny humans. I know many people do it, but it just does not work for me. And you kind of have to figure that out, what Mm -hmm. works for you and being able to parent and also work. So that did not work. But I was blogging and doing social media and all that kind of 
you know, online world and didn't really realize that those things fit together. Like I didn't think about author platform because no one really talked about that then, but I was Mm -hmm. early on a lot of the platforms, mostly because I was in grad school and all the, you know, 21 year olds who had just come out of college, like you have to get on this thing called Facebook. It's for students. And so I was like the first year I was on Facebook because I was in school and MySpace, huge in MySpace. But, you know, again, I wasn't realizing the power of all this. I just used them for fun. So as I realized kind of the power of these things and that I could sustain blogging and writing nonfiction, I kind of transitioned into being more intentional with my social media platforms, my blog and what I was writing. And I self-published my first book, I think in 2012, maybe 2013. And, uh, so I've just been kind of putting out, I've done some like Christian devotional type books. That was the first thing I did was a Christmas book. And then in 2015, I launched the creative writing podcast where I could interview other people who are, I'm really interested in the whole platform side, because I think a lot of people hate that like writers, especially, and I love it because I love social media. I started as a user for fun. So it wasn't like, Oh, no, I have to get on Facebook. Like I've been there forever. So Mm -hmm. um, I like to help other authors kind of think about reframing the conversation around platform. And I work a lot with bloggers, too, because I was very entrenched in the blogging world, um, you know, doing sponsored posts and doing mommy blog for years. So that's kind of where I am today is I've just been um, continuing to self publish nonfiction books, I hope one day to go back to fiction when my kids are maybe all in school, and I can have more brain space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if I'll want to traditionally publish and pursue that or keep on going the indie route with those. So that's a little bit about kind of my writing and authoring and <laughs> online journey. Yes. And I love what you've said, and I think you've touched upon something that I think is incredibly important, which is this idea of platform. And one of the reasons why I'm so personally passionate about helping bloggers turn their content or ideas into a book is because they already have a platform And that book will help elevate that platform. It helps build that credibility and authority. And it just helps them take that platform that they've created to another level. And I guess I'd just love to hear your thoughts on the subject. Yeah, I think that there's definitely like this sense of authority and expertise that is transferred once your name is on the title of something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, years ago, like when I got out of school, self-publishing was like vanity publishing, right? It was what people did if you couldn't get a book deal. Mm -hmm. And that has changed so much. And I love the power that we now have and how, you know, there are definitely still some people who are steeped in that traditional world who will turn up their noses. But I think overall, like the world has changed in a way that people realize how the tools for publishing are now in our hands, like very, I mean, very literally, like right in your laptop, you could write a book right now and put it out tomorrow. I mean, you wouldn't want to because you want to edit and be professional about (laughs) it, but it's possible. And I think that's the really cool thing about all these tools. But once you do that, it does still convey the sense of uh, that you're you're an authority on a subject. You, You have a book on Amazon or you're selling it through your blog. And so it's, it's really cool. And I like sort of the, um, you know, as a nonfiction writer right now, I love like the sort of whole culture of being an infopreneur where you're kind of monetizing the knowledge you have, mm-hmm. which is so much fun for me because I also love teaching. So it's a really good fit. But, you know, I think it was Honoré Quarter who talks about, you know, a book being a business card. And at first I like really bristled at that because I'm like, a business card, you know, I just think of those as things you throw away. And, you know, your book is where your passion and your heart is. But when you think about the sense that it, it is, it 
carries so much weight with it um, and tells so much about who you are that it's it's almost like not something you throw away that you get at a conference like when you come home, but it's mm-hmm. something that you can hand to someone or you know email them if you're just doing digital that carries so much of who you are and your essence. Um, and so I really do think you know as you become an author, the more credibility and expertise that it kind of carries to actually put something, not just in a blog post or somewhere else, or not just in your notebook, but to actually put it out there into the universe and let other people interact with it. Yes, 100%. I agree. And so to get back to this idea of platform as well, I know that, again, it's something that you talk about that you really focus on because it is so important. And I completely agree One of the things that you're really passionate about is helping people, whether they're bloggers, entrepreneurs, authors, whatever you label yourself as, you want to help people create an authentic platform or you phrase it as not being smarmy. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this idea of creating an authentic non-smarmy platform and why they need to do it and maybe give them one or two tips for how they could do it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm sure you know this, starting a podcast, like I think things kind of morph as they grow and you sort of find yourself a little more. And when I first started creative writing, the tagline had nothing to do with being smarmy. I think it was like, inspiration and information. It sounded really kind of vague, um, but you know, you're just starting out. It sounds really specific to you. And then as you go, you realize, and I kind of realized more and more and more that the thing that was common across, you know, the people I interviewed and the things I was teaching and the things that drew the kind of people I was attracting, what drew them to me was this idea of not, of being authentic and not smarmy and smarmy. Some people are like, I don't know that word. It, it's just sort of that sleazy sales pitchy kind of idea, because in this day and age where we're building our own platforms, you guys all know, cause you've gotten the emails, you've seen the Twitter DMS and all the different things where people are using these tactics that just feel gross. They leave you feeling kind of used and empty and like a number, not a person. And so I really emphasize using smart marketing techniques and platform building tools that feel authentic to you. And that, and that does look different for, you know, different people. What, what looks authentic to me may be totally different to you. Some tactic I use might not be something you use. And just kind of an example of that in my Facebook group, this week, someone was uh, posted something John Acuff shared, and they were like, look, you can comment below his Facebook video and you automatically get, you know, his book sent to you via Facebook Messenger. This is so cool. Look at this great tool. Um, and it is Facebook Messenger um, bots really are becoming like a huge thing uh, where you can kind of send automatic messages through these tools through Messenger and you can actually advertise. And so what I said was, it does sound great. And I love John, John Acuff. He's doing great things. But I was like, be prepared. If you said yes, and you got that delivered, John Acuff is going to sell you stuff now through Facebook Messenger. Because <laughs> that's really what that's about is that people, um, a lot of marketers are using Facebook Messenger as a sales mechanism and trying to kind of replace email. There's a lot of chatter about that. For me, I do actually have um, a subscription service through ManyChat, which is a Facebook bot tool where people can actually just get an automatic email uh, or message through Facebook Messenger every time a podcast episode is out. So I don't have to do anything. I just publish my podcast episode and someone will get a Facebook message as a reminder. I'm never going to use that to sell. And I was very clear about that because I 
personally don't like it. And maybe in a year when the world looks however different it'll look in a year, that'll be okay for me. Um, and again, nothing about against John Acuff, but like I've seen a lot of different people using this and it's not something I'm comfortable with. So you have to kind of find the, the tools and strategies that feel good for you. And then there's some basic principles that I talk about a lot, like disclosure, which really should be across the board for everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and so it really just looks like the things that feel good to you, um, and finding your groove in terms of, you know, running a business, because as authors, I think, even if you're traditionally published, I'm finding I have a lot of people who are like, I'm really surprised I have to do all this work. I'm like, yeah, like they don't Mm -hmm. do that for you anymore. Mm -hmm. So however you're choosing to publish, you are in a way a business person. You're running your, you know, your author business or your blogging business. And so you have to be savvy, but that doesn't mean you have to do things that make you feel icky. And sometimes you have to reframe it mentally because I have some people who are like, I hate using email. And I'm like, well, maybe that's not going to be your primary tool. But email in and of itself is not icky. It's just what you send or how often you send it or the way you phrase it to people that can feel icky. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just reframing the discussion, but it's also making the conscious choices that you feel comfortable with at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. I love that message. And I think it's so important to create a business, use tools, whatever you're doing that feels authentic to you. Because if it's not authentic to you, it will come across as salesy, smarmy, whatever you want to call it. It's not going to feel comfortable. And the people you're trying to reach are going to feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive into your books because you've published several of them. You are, of course, an expert. Uh, So could you first and foremost, take a moment to tell us about your books, including your newest book, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. So I guess it was last year. I should know, but I feel like with children, like all my years now just flow together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think last year I published email lists made easy for writers and bloggers. And the whole premise of that was, it was basically to highlight how important email is and to kind of apply some of the tools that I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and marketers use for email Mm -hmm. that uh, kind of to reframe them in a way that makes sense to writers and bloggers, because I think some of those tactics, one, don't work um, across the board. Like if you just go follow some marketer as an author and try using all their strategies, it might work, but it's not going to feel specific probably to your niche of publishing books. And so, Mm -hmm. um, And a lot of people are really turned off from that. Again, I'm dealing with a lot of people who don't like the idea of platform at all. So trying to use an email list and market to people, even your own books just seems just like something they don't want to do. So it was kind of putting it in different language, taking the tools and things that work, but, you know, helping translate how that can look for you as an author or a blogger. So that was my first book once I did creative writing, because the others are all like they're nonfiction, like devotional books and other kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I actually, this past month I published two because I had one that was up for sale, but not on Amazon. So that's 31 small steps to grow your blog. And so that kind of, I didn't do a big launch for it. I just kind of quietly pushed it out to Amazon. Mm -hmm. So it's there. Um, and I'm getting the print version of that up because it's really like a workbook. So it's fine on digital, but the print version is going to be really awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's 31 different actions that you can take that are kind of bite-sized that will help grow your blog over time. And it's not things that are going to necessarily expire. I mean, I wrote the book maybe two years ago and I've had to update some things because social media platforms are always changing, but overall, um, the ideas are still really solid. 
Mm-hmm. And then the latest one that I actually did a big launch for, um, is called creative collaborations. And it's, I feel like collaborations are one of the most powerful ways that you can grow your platform. And there are a lot of people who, you know, and this, I feel like this is the thing I keep just saying again and again, who aren't doing it right, who are doing it in a really icky way. Um, I get emails constantly with pitches, you know, from scammy companies or people that just don't know how to pitch. And I work a lot with people. And so, you know, I'm happy to collaborate with things, but I think people don't really understand. They're either one of two things. They're either afraid to even do it, like afraid to even approach somebody about working together, or they're doing it in a way that you're just like, your immediate response is like, ugh, I definitely don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the book is kind of, it's almost like an etiquette guide to digital networking, but then also some really practical things. So there are ideas for pitches in there. I have um, over 15 different people from across the board. I have authors and I have entrepreneurs and I have coaches and bloggers all sharing specific ideas for kinds of partnerships and then tips for those. So you know, how to do a multi-author box set, how to bundle together books and products, how to, you know, do a podcast where you're co-hosting and why you might want to do that, guest posting, all kinds of different ideas um, for ways that you can collaborate to kind of put the tools in people's hands. They can pick and choose like, okay, this I'd never thought of, and this is a great idea. And hopefully people, you know, we're again, we're in such an age, you can kind of do anything. So hopefully people might walk away too with an idea for a collaboration that's not something other people are doing yet. You know, it's just their own unique kind of idea of how to partner with people. And I know for me, you know, a lot of the success, you know, I didn't have a ton of traffic on creative writing when I started. I still don't. It's not a hugely trafficked site. And my other site, my sort of lifestyle blog that I ran, I think I'm trying to think what the percentage I used to know this, but it was, I think I have like five times the traffic over there and like less than half the size email list. And so Mm -hmm. I've been able to, with very little traffic, grow an email list and grow a platform by using collaborations and other tools to do that. So I'm not just reliant on algorithms and things like that. So when they shift, like Facebook shift and everyone's like, oh no, Facebook pages. And I'm like, I don't care (laughs) because I use Facebook, but I'm not, I'm not tied to any one thing enough that those are going to sink me, I guess is, is, is kind of what I you know, what I'll say. And so I focus on things like collaborations and email lists that don't have an algorithm. So you're not going to get tanked when Pinterest or Instagram or any of these change something about their platform, you're still kind of secure. So relationships, they don't ever expire. And even though there's lots of different new ways you can, you know, partner with people, the idea of partnership is really classic. And so that's something that never goes out of style. Absolutely. And that's such a smart strategy too, and one that I hope our listeners will take to heart because yes, algorithms change. You really need to understand that you are ultimately not in control of your social media platforms. The social media platform itself is in control. Facebook decides who sees your posts and so on. And so that mindset shift is incredibly, incredibly important. 
And it's very freeing too. Like it's, it's very freeing to sit back and kind of like, I'm sad for people who are really having struggles with these algorithm shifts. Like Facebook, as we're talking, just did one that's kind of killing people, but, mm-hmm. um, or their reach. Anyway, it's not killing actual people. It's killing their reach. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's really freeing for me to be like, it doesn't affect me. Like I will have zero impact from that. And, uh, you know, when you're able to sort of secure a foundation for your platform that isn't going to get washed away, um, that's really powerful. So yeah, owning, owning it as much as you can of having that control and using the platforms, you know, I use Facebook for what I can use it for, but I don't trust in it, you know, cause I know mm-hmm. it's just going to shift next year too and be different than as well. Yes, absolutely. And definitely everybody go pick up a copy of creative collaborations. It's actually literally pulled up on my Kindle. It's what I've been reading. It's a fantastic book. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I will put the link to get that and all of Kirsten's other books in the show notes. So you can go there to creep on her Amazon author page and to get your copy of her books as well. So Kirsten, I would love to pick your brain about the writing process and being an author, since this is obviously something that you have done multiple times over. So what do you find is the hardest part of the writing and publishing process for you? And how do you work to overcome that? Great questions. I think I think a lot of authors struggle in the same couple of areas. We're all different in our struggles. But I think a lot of times we struggle to just actually get that thing written. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about writer's block. And I feel like in some ways, especially because I have kids who are really awesome, but in a lot of ways impede the things I would do if I did not have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like writer's block is something I struggle with. I struggle more with like trying to get out the things in my brain. But at the same time, even sitting down to write creative collaborations, it was a mental effort. I was really excited about the book. I had all these plans. I planned a launch party and all this stuff. And then I was like, I haven't written the book. <laughs> like I have an outline. I have ideas. I have marketing. I have a book cover. I haven't written the actual book. And the act of sitting down was really a discipline. And it wasn't that it I had a, a writer's block, but the first couple of times I sat down, I felt like writing longer form content in many ways, if you're used to, as I am constantly, I mean, I write pretty long blog posts, but writing blog posts, writing Facebook post updates, you know, uh, whatever you're doing tweets, <laughs> which just expand in length, but they're still really short. It was really an act of discipline to sit down and took you know, maybe a day or two of, of getting a couple chunks of time. And so my kids are in preschool some of the time and I have, you know, my parents sometimes will watch the the baby who's not in any school or I'll go out at night. You know, my husband will put kids to bed and I'll go over to the local coffee shop and mm-hmm. sit for just a couple of hours uninterrupted, turning off the internet. And and I just think that discipline is so important, but it, it surprised me having written so much and constantly producing content, how hard it was to kind of get over that hump. And once I got into the rhythm of it and, you know, made myself do it, it, it really was pretty easy. I mean, nonfiction, again, fiction is really a place I have to go live there in my brain, but nonfiction, I feel like I can pick it up and put it down a lot more easily. So it's, it's easier to write when I'm having to pick up and put things down but figuring out, you know, those spaces and I've figured out over the years, I do write best out of my house. My office right now that I'm sitting in is amazing, but I'm in the process of cleaning stuff up. And because I'm so busy, the process of cleaning stuff up looks like boxes surrounding me Mm. for like days. And that physical clutter, seeing it there distracts the 
heck out of me. And so mm-hmm. writing somewhere outside of my home really helps. I don't have to think about laundry. I don't hear the background sounds of other people watching my kids. I don't see the boxes. Um, I don't have to sit and clean my desk first of these things that I'm working on. And so I think figuring out that process, what it looks like for you, is it better to write in the morning? So many people say it is, is it better to write at night? That's when I tend to write. Cause that's when I can, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever that looks like and just pushing through and, and making, you know, showing up and being disciplined and even putting words on the page. Like when I first started putting words on the page for creative collaborations, they felt clunky and bad and ugly. And I just had to keep pushing before I found that rhythm. And that, you know, it, it happens every time I read a book, but, but when you first start and have that first blank page, I think that's the most dangerous spot. It's much easier to be like, Oh, but what's happening on Facebook. I'm going to go click over there for a second. I feel a little stuck. You know, it's, it's really a scary thing. That first blank page. Um, once I have some words on the page, I feel like it gives me that confidence. So for me, that's a little about my process and how it works, but it totally, again, so much of this is about learning your own process and, and figuring that out for you. And as far as like the other difficult part, I mean, anyone who has put a book up on Amazon knows how insane formatting is, especially when you consider just like social media has different image sizes for, you know, Instagram versus Twitter versus Facebook versus Pinterest. The same thing with putting eBooks and different platforms. Like if you're using iBooks or, um, you know, if you're doing a PDF, if you're doing Kindle, you have to do all these different formatting things. And I hate that. Um, I feel like I finally really got that this time. There are some tools that weren't around the last time I put like when I put up email list made easy, I think I paid somebody on Fiverr to do just some of the work, like page numbers. Every time I have to get to page numbers for like the PDF or create space version, I have to get my husband to come in because I can't ever get them to start. And again, I've done this like a bunch of times and I still struggle or, you know, one time it was like getting that table of contents to be clickable. And no matter what I did, mm-hmm. it's not clickable. And I was just so angry and irritated and up to like 3 a.m. reformatting in Word, which is a program I hate anyway. But this time around, I I really spent a lot of time. I figured out the formatting, the margins and all that stuff for create space and kind of the headings and all that. that. And then um, draft to digital. I'm a huge fan of draft to digital. I use them to distribute one of my books. Like a lot of people don't, I don't know if your people are familiar or you are, but um, it's a paid tool if you're distributing through them. So like you could upload your book and just say, push it out to Amazon, um, you know, iBooks, all these different places, and they'll just do it for you and then take a cut of the profit. So you don't have to go around like doing that. They have a converter so you can take your Word doc, make it into an EPUB or a Mobi or a PDF. And now they have a new formatting tool. So you can choose from different styles and style your ebook, which is incredible. And those are all free things. So I did that this time and that was a huge help. Um, my only issue was the, the PDF version, like for the print copies of the book. And I emailed them and they hopefully will change this. But if you have a lot of links, which my books do, um, then it kind of makes them show up as like a footnote at the bottom of each page, which I really did not like for the, Mm -hmm. so for the nonfiction PDF version, but you know, again, like you have to do like three different versions, even using these tools, I still have like, this is what the PDF version looks like. And then I have another doc with the Kindle so I can have, you know, the back matter that I want, for example, you know, um, in the Kindle for people to sign up for an email list or to read the next books. So I think the formatting is such a huge headache, but there are some great tools to, to do that. And there is always Fiverr. There's some people on there who will for five, 10, actually I haven't found five, but like 10 or 15 bucks who will make 
that headache go away and get your book totally ready for create space to make a printed copy or to make that table of contents clickable. Again, I would highly recommend draft to digital and do that for free, but that, that made it a lot easier, but I still, even with the tools, that's the part I like the least, but I think I finally kind of got my groove on with that as well this time. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so that kind of ties into my next question for you. We always learn something every time we do a big project, even if it's something we've done before, like publish a book. So what's one thing that you learned from launching your most recent book? Well, I think the thing I focused more on this time that I had never done before was being more intentional with, uh, and this is specific to Amazon, but with categories and keywords. So I actually purchased two paid tools um, and I'll have to give you a link. I wrote a post about my favorite tools for writing eBooks and publishing them, but I got Kindle or is it KDP rocket or Kindle rocket? Um, rocket is what I know it by. And then there's KD spy and they're two different tools that do two different things, but rocket allows you, um, it's kind of like an app that you can pull up on your computer and it allows you to type in a phrase. So for my book, it was actually hard cause no one's really searching for collaborations. And so I had to think of different phrases, but like for email list made easy, it was a little bit easier because I could look up email marketing or email lists or email newsletters. And you can type that into rocket and it will tell you how many people on Google are searching for that particular term, how many people on Amazon are searching for for that particular term and other related terms. So when it comes to putting those keywords, you know, when you're setting up your book in Kindle, those seven keywords you get, and when you're writing your description for your book, that is hugely important because you can actually, instead of just being like email as a keyword and kind of throwing that away where you might get people who are like, literally trying to buy the book. Cause I think there is one on like how to set up your Gmail account. Like that's not what I want people like those people are not into my book. Like that's not the right person. I'm looking for maybe somebody who has a keyword phrase. That's like email marketing for dummies. And maybe they're searching for a particular book on email marketing. But if I use that as my keyword, then they might find my book. And so being a lot more intentional about that, I feel like that's like the next level stuff. And that's totally new for me. I'm normally just like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to put it up there. But, um, and it also, so, uh, the thing that Katie spy does is it lets you go to Amazon and this is a Chrome extension and both of those are paid tools. I would, I, I definitely think they're worth, I think spy is maybe like 47 and rocket. I think, I don't know if they were going to move to a subscription service, but I think it was around a hundred dollars and I'll explain why I think that was worth the investment for that particular one. But for Katie spy, what that allows you to do is to go to Amazon, to go to Kindle books, uh, nonfiction writing skills is kind of one category that you can look at. And then you open up the extension and it will tell you for the top 20 books in that category, what their sales rank is, how many people are purchasing the book, how competitive the category is and how profitable. So, this is really helpful if you're trying to get onto a bestseller list in a particular category, because that allows your book to start to move more copies. Because if it shows up on that first page, more people are going to see it and then more people are going to buy it. And if that little orange bestseller tag matters to you, then you can go ahead and more easily pick a category. For example, I think the category I originally would have picked had I not used this tool, the top 20 books were all in like the top, I think like 3000 paid books, which is really pretty high. That's a very competitive category. And so I chose another category that was also fitting, but even right off the bat, kind of with my pre-order sales, I was able to get into that category 
And my book, which was, I think at the time, like around 5,000 or just under 5,000 in the paid store was number three in that category or number two or one. And so it's about like, those are again, super nerdy. Like I felt very unlike myself diving into that world, but it was really fun to kind of use those tools to think about descriptions and keywords. And if you're going to run Amazon AMS ads, Rocket absolutely is a must. And that's why I feel like it was worth the investment because a lot of people are using those AMS ads and you're supposed to actually use like two to 300 hundred keywords when you set up an AMS ad to be effective. And I don't know about you, but I had trouble coming up with seven, <laughs> like to just list my book. So I'm never going to come up with 200. And so what Rocket does is it allows you to do like a keyword search to put in a couple keywords and then export that as a file that you can upload right into the dashboard when you're making an ad. So you're able to um, not only choose keywords that people are searching for already on Amazon, but also you're not going to have to spend the time coming up with 300 relevant keywords. So those two tools, that was the first time I've done anything like that and been really intentional about like metadata and weird nerdy stuff. And it was totally worth it and a lot of fun. And I have another friend who published this week and I went and looked at her listing and I was able to email her and say, look, you're in the wrong category. Here's the category you need to choose and you're going to be in the top 10. Whereas right now you're in the top 500. And so she was able to do that and kind of see a boost from book sales because her book was more visible. So it's really fun to do that. And it's not fun to try to do that on your own. So like these tools were really um, kind of fun, but it also, I definitely spent way too much time. Like I got totally into like, what about this category? And what about this category? So fair warning, even if you don't see yourself as like a data nerd, because I don't, the tools can be really fun and you can spend a lot of time, maybe too much time uh, diving into that whole thing. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for sharing about those amazing tools. I know I'm going to go look at them right away, and I think a lot of our listeners will as well. So that's something you did differently about the marketing. Was there anything you did differently with the actual launch process? Yeah, so this was the first time and maybe only time, I don't know, we'll see. I did a launch party, like a physical, actual location here in Houston, and that is not something I normally would do, especially for myself. And it was, I think part of it was, it was my birthday week that the book came out. And so I was like, okay, I wouldn't throw myself a birthday party. I wouldn't really throw myself a book launch party, but we'll put them together. And I went on, um, I don't know if it was Airbnb or VRBO and found a really cool loft space. Um, I went ahead and rented it out. I made a whole bunch of plans and um, invited a whole bunch of people. And then I contacted a bunch of brands to sponsor it because I didn't want to front the costs for it. Um, and I felt like I heard Ryan Holiday share this. and He's the one who wrote Perennial Bestseller. He was talking about how the marketing plan should match the book. And so I felt like for a book on collaborations, bringing in a whole bunch of people to sort of celebrate the launch together was a really great idea. And Houston has a huge social media community. A lot of those people contributed to the book. And so I invited all those people and, you know, personal connections and friends who probably won't read the book because they're not in the digital space, but a whole mix of people. I pitched the idea to brands and gave them kind of a package of what this would look like and what they could expect. I had one local brand, a local um, rum distillery who came and got to meet and greet people, which was fantastic and brought rum. So that was great. And then, you know, I worked with ConvertKit, who um, they're my email service provider, and I love, love, love them. And I, uh, MediaVine, who runs the ads on my other blog, so they work a lot with bloggers. And then I worked with Kroger, who I've worked with before, you know, a bit with sponsorships and other things. So it was really 
neat to kind of have different layers to the book launch party. So I was collaborating with brands and pitching them. And I included that in the book and even talked about how I got, um, I added this in at the last minute. And this is the great thing about self-publishing, right? Like my party's next week. I can still add a chapter about how I got brands to come on board, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, because you can write it this week. Whereas traditional publishing, you might be waiting a year or two for your book to hit the shelves. So I was able to put that in there and get the brands actually in the book and then collaborate with the different people who came. And we did a photo booth. And um, this place actually came with a cotton candy machine, which was epic, except for the cleaning. I had to clean it because this was a rental, you know, like place through VRBO or whatever that I had to clean the cotton candy machine, which I do not recommend. And as far as, you know, I was thinking about it and the ROI of this, like a lot of people, you know, I had this idea and I didn't necessarily think it would increase book sales a bunch. I do think a lot of people who came to the party bought it. I printed up little flyers. I made a pretty link so you could just go very easily. And a lot of people who may not have bought it otherwise bought it because it was my birthday. And that can kind of mess with your also bots, like what shows up on Amazon underneath your book, because I had people who weren't interested. But I was like, you know what, it's the launch day, we're just going to go with it and see how that works. So it wasn't like I made tons and tons of money or sales. I did have a bump. I did hit some bestseller lists and kind of float there for a while after the party. I did get a great party and got to work with brands. And, you know, and I think there's a certain kind of like publishing a book in and of itself, there's a certain amount of authority that something like that carries. Um, You know, like when there's a lot of people in the social media community who are much bigger than I am, who came and were like, blown away. They were like, this is amazing. I can't believe you do this. I'm so impressed. And I told my husband, I said, it's really weird because the currency in this online world is sort of this idea of influence and authority and which on a personal level, you don't want to go around being like me, 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 me. But in a way online, you have to find how you can do that in a way that's not gross and self-centered. Um, mm-hmm. cause authority building is really weird because you are in a way saying me, 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 me. And having a party like this where a lot of people came and, you know, we had live video and had the sponsors, it did, convey a sense of authority, just like writing a book does. What are the measurable effects? What's the ROI from that? I'm not sure. I don't think that's for everyone. I don't think I'd do it for every book, but I think it was really neat to kind of think outside the box. Like I haven't heard of anyone else doing that kind of party where they threw themselves a launch party, did a reading, got sponsorships and ran the whole thing. And so it was really fun and unique to do it. And I think in the spirit of the book, it was really amazing. But I think again, for like the next book, I do not think I'll necessarily do that. Um, unless I can go back and track and see the stats and see that that had a huge impact or boost. And I do actually have a book in mind that I want to write and see if I can get a sponsor to pay me to write the book. So now I can say like, here's what I did here are kind of the, I can give you some reporting as to like the reach of different things and what this did for the brand. You know, again, I like to think outside the box. And so this is not to say, Hey, everybody go through a launch party because the return on your investment may not be great, but think outside the box. What is a launch plan that fits the kind of book you're writing? What is some kind of creative idea that you can have that might have a massive impact that isn't just the tried and true. But if you are going off the beaten path, realize that maybe people aren't doing that because it's not going to increase your book sales or it's going to take a lot of time or money. So definitely think about those things. But I like, I like the idea of thinking creatively about how you can do things because those unique things help set you apart. 
Absolutely. And yeah, it helps bring more attention to your book. It helps bring the right people to your book when you execute your marketing properly because you're reaching the people who need to be reached. So for example, with your book launch party, incredibly smart and important to reach out to influencers who have then relationships with other influencers because that's who you are trying to reach with your book. And I think that hopefully that will inspire some of our listeners to consider how they could apply what you did to their own books, find their own unique way to do something where they can connect with more of the type of reader who would most benefit from their book. Yeah, definitely. And that's what it's all about is trying to connect with the right people, not doing what everybody else is doing, not just doing something to stand apart, but doing the things that actually hit the right people and will bring um, kind of a return for both the time and money that you put in. Absolutely. You brought up some great points, Kirsten, and I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And I know our listeners too as well. And I know they're going to want to keep in touch with you. So how can they do that? Yeah. So create if writing and that's create and then if writing. It's play on words, which can make it confusing when you're saying things audibly. I like a podcast, but creativewriting.com is kind of my hub. So, you know, I have the blog posts there. You can connect with the Facebook community or sign up for my email list um, to get, you know, the weekly quick fix, which is I send out resources and, you know, industry news and that kind of thing on Fridays. So um, yeah, everything is right there. Make it nice and simple for people to connect. I will put all of those links and links to everything Kirsten talked about in the interview, in the show notes, including her favorite tools. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun to chat. I feel like I could talk nerdy writing, authoring stuff all day with you. (laughs) It was truly my pleasure to talk with you about all of the nerdy writing stuff. Thank you. Many thanks to Kirsten for taking the time to share your expertise, including your favorite tools. I know I'm always on the lookout for new tools that will help me be a better author and spread my message, and I'm already putting together a new list of tools to invest in from this interview. To get links to all the tools Kirsten mentioned, to find a link to subscribe to the Create If Writing podcast, and to learn how you can connect with Kirsten, head to the show notes at bloggertoauthor.com slash 40. Before you go, I have one final question for you. Is writing a book on your to-do list for 2018? I'm extremely excited to announce my upcoming five-day challenge, Five Days to Set Yourself Apart in Your Niche. In this challenge, you'll learn how to set your blog, your business, and yourself apart with a book, and you'll get hands-on help creating a detailed plan for your book. I'll help you figure out a topic for a book your readers will actually want to buy, and I'll help you plan it out too. You'll be surprised by how much you've already written and how close you are to becoming an author. The challenge begins Monday, January 8th, 2018. Register for this free five-day challenge at bloggertoauthor.com slash challenge. Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for joining us for the Blogger to Author podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share the podcast with your friends and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about Blogger to Author and the podcast at bloggertoauthor.com. Till next time, happy writing.